Chapter Thirteen of the Wild Irishman by Thomas William Hodgson, T. W. H. Crossland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Brandon. Chapter Thirteen, W. B. Yeats. It might reasonably be supposed that the last drop in Ireland's cup of bitterness was Mister William Butler Yeats, an emotional and misfortunate people with the tyrant's heel on its neck and poverty and disaster always in attendance upon it may be excused if it does not altogether dance to the pipings of a pretty fellow like mr yates in point of fact however ireland fails to dance not because of her sadness but because mr yates's minstrelsy is to all intents and purposes utterly alien to her in england or more correctly speaking in london it is true that there have been and possibly is now a small cult of what is commonly called a celtic muse and the head in front of it of course is mr yates he has found ardent if undiscriminating support among the irish reporters and reviewers on the daily papers he enjoys the patronage of mr clement shorter and he is received respectfully at the irish literary club further i am told that there is a musically minded elocutionist in london who goes about chanting his numbers to the three-stringed psaltery that mr yates is a poet of some parts nobody in his senses would attempt to deny that he is a vast or potent or as he himself would no doubt phrase it a druid poet i am not disposed to admit the strength of him is slight indeed the thought of him prattles forever round the trivial he has a still small voice with a wistfulness about it and it is on this wistfulness that he has builded up his business his contemporaries the men among whom whether he likes it or no he will always have to range are every one of them stronger men than he they are ruder and more forceful more gusty and less attenuated if only by fits and starts they do their best to try to belong to the great british poetical tradition they fail lamentably but their work bears marks of aspiration mr yates on the other hand has been particular to pose on a little hill of his own he imagines that he has discovered a sort of private tradition the which he calls celtic out of ireland he believes himself to have captured druid music and this he has put up for us in sundry lyrical pieces and sundry plays his lyrical pieces are admired in all the drawing-rooms and all the sub-editors rooms and his plays have been stamped with the heartfelt approval of the chief secretary for ireland and mr max beerbaum the general opinion of him may be summed up in three words how charmingly celtic it is an old contention of mine that mr yates's qualities are not celtic at all i go further and say that as a fact there are no celtic qualities which are not common in good english poetry the best celt we ever had was mr yates's own master one william blake who was sheer cockney mr yates is just blake spun out and overconscious the moon like a flower in heaven's high bower with silent delight sits and smiles on the night i would that we were my beloved white birds on the foam of the sea 
we tire of the flame of the meteor before it can fade and flee and the flame of the blue star of twilight hung low on the rim of the sky has awakened in our hearts my beloved a sadness that may not die sweet babe in thy face soft desires i can trace sacred joys and secret smiles little pretty infant wiles as thy softest limbs i feel smiles as of the morning steel o'er thy cheek and o'er thy breast where thy little heart doth rest i told my love i told my love i told her all my heart trembling cold in ghastly fears ah she did depart soon after she was gone from me a traveller came by silently invisibly he took her with a sigh beloved gaze in thine own heart the holy tree is growing there from joy the holy branches start and all the trembling flowers they bear the changing colours of its fruit have dowered the stars with merry light the surety of its hidden root has planted quiet in the night which is blake and which is yeats he may put the name of either under any of those stanzas without being guilty of an unpardonable critical lapse mr yeats took blake and imitated him as frankly and it may be as unconsciously as many less sophisticated versifiers have imitated tennyson or mr swinburne or rossetti it is credible to him that he should have had discernment enough to perceive in blake an exceptional and individual content but why having got hold of that content having saturated himself with it as it were and having found the exploitation of it easy and provocative of praise mr yeats should turn round and call it celtic is something of a puzzle of course one has to remember that among a people whose interests are material rather than spiritual the poet who would get a hearing is compelled to have resort to a certain amount of adventitiousness and empiricism we poets in our youth begin in gladness but thereof come in the end despondency and madness saith wordsworth we poets in our youth also begin in sincerity and with a single eye to the glory of the muses but too frequently even while our youth is still with us we begin to think about the glory of ourselves and take steps accordingly it is good for us if we have any gift at all to organize and advertise a school with ourselves carefully elected by ourselves to the position of archpriest the critic who in an idle hour set down cockney school has a great deal to answer for somebody followed him hard with the lake school and in due course we had the fleshy school it is to be noted however that these epithets were bestowed by the critics upon the poets and not by the poets upon the poets themselves i venture to suggest that it has been slightly different in the case of mr yeats and his following in mr yeats's mind perhaps without his being wholly alive to it something like the following has taken place 
to be of any account in this world a poet must have a quality or cry of his own there is a quality or poignancy of individualism about blake which has not yet become obvious to the multitude i admire it and i can imitate it and possibly improve upon it therefore let me adopt it for my own and as i am an irishman i shall cause it to be known not as the spirit of blake but as the celtic quality Sela. i do not suggest for a moment that mr yeats's conduct in this matter has been either wicked or unjustifiable i do not even suggest that mr yeats has been quite aware of what he was doing but not to put too fine a point upon it i do say that he has been modern and that it is a thousand pities there is nothing in ireland and there never has been anything in ireland which will justify the appropriation of blake as a sort of exclusive irish product and mr yeats has written nothing which he could not have written just as well had he been a cockney or a hebrew capable of appreciating the spiritual and technical parts of blake and of perceiving the beauty of certain scraps of irish history and folklore as an irish poet mr yeats in my opinion fails completely it is as reasonable to call him an irish poet as it would be to call milton a hebrew poet because he wrote paradise lost or mr swinburne a greek poet because he wrote atalanta there is not an irishman qua irishman who wants mr yeats any more than there is an irishman qua irishman who wants mr yeats irish literary theatre mr yeats poetry and mr yeats irish literary theatre are blake's poetry and blake's literary theatre they belong to the euston road and not to tara they are cultivated wary wistful minor english and not irish at all you have to be english and a trifle subtle at that to get on with them blake's laurels are very posthumous and recent because the englishman of his time was busy with pope and crab and had a sort of suspicion that wordsworth was a lunatic englishmen did not know even shakespeare in those days at any rate not in the way we know him nowadays to the pope suckled englishman of culture shakespeare if he was anything at all was a sort of robustious and flowery dramatist they played him in full-bottomed wigs and small clothes today the tendencies are all the other way shakespeare we shall tell you was no playwright but a poet and the biggest of them our modern actors spoil him for us not by their cuts and modifications but by their rare shows and mouthings who of them can say for you to your soul's satisfaction oh here will i set up my everlasting rest and shake the yoke of inauspicious stars from this world-weary flesh shakespeare is for all time and more and more for the closet blake is a greater poet than the critical are disposed to admit even in this age of tender enthusiasms and mr yeats is a poet not because he is irish or celtic but in so far and precisely as far as he has had the good sense to take blake for his master 
for celticism as it is understood by its professors shakespeare abounds in it first lady come my gracious lord shall i be your playfellow ma'am no i'll none of you first lady why my sweet lord ma'am you'll kiss me hard and speak to me as if i were a baby still i love you better second lady and why so my lord ma'am not for because your brows are blacker yet black brows they say become some women best so that there be not too much hair there but in a semicircle or half-moon made with a pen second lady who taught you this ma'am i learned it out of women's faces pray now what colour are your eyebrows first lady blue my lord ma'am nay there's a mock i have seen a lady's nose that has been blue but not her eyebrows second lady harkee the queen your mother rounds apace we shall present our service to a fine new prince one of these days and then you'd wanton with us if we would have you first lady she is spread of late into a goodly bulk good time encounter her her what wisdom stirs amongst you come sir now i am for you again pray you sit by us and tells a tale ma'am merry or sad shalt be her as merry as you will ma'am a sad tale's best for winter i have one of sprites and goblins her let's have that good sir come on sit down come on and do your best to frighten me with your sprites you're powerful at it ma'am there was a man her nay come sit down then on ma'am dwelt by a churchyard i will tell it softly yond crickets shall not hear it her come on then and gift in mine ear there is enough celtic quality here surely to satisfy both mr yates and mr shorter in fine this tiny episode out of a winter's tale is quite as good and quite as celtic as anything the blake school to give it its honest title has managed hitherto to produce what the average irishman would think about it is another story it is a pity to take from ireland even a trifle over which she might not improperly plume herself but mr yeats in the figure of irish poet reminds us of nothing so much as a peacock butterfly purchased in the chrysalis state out of france by the careful entomologist hidden in a plant-pot at his parlour window and slaughtered and labelled british so soon as it has had time to spread its wistful wings end of chapter thirteen recording by john brandon